0: Hi everybody and welcome to Walton Biz Talk, where we have casual conversations about professional things. We're a student-run podcast created by the Business Communication Lab in the Sam M. Walton College of Business. My name is Ryan Decker.
1: And I'm Jesse Schnabelin.
0: And our topic this season is sustainability. What it is, why it is important, and what is being done to meet present needs without compromising the needs of future generations. Today we're here with Sarah Lewis, who is the Senior Director of Innovation at the Sustainability Consortium here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Hi, mm-hmm. right, thank you for joining us today.
2: Hi, right, thank you. Thank you for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I guess to get started, uh, we've been asking everyone like what they think sustainability is to them. So, Can you define sustainability for us and what it means to you?
2: I would say uh, when I talk about that question, I think about what it is I'm trying to sustain um and really think about um what are what are the challenges that we're facing right now and the system that's in place is not sustainable so really asking that question what is it that i'm trying to sustain and when i think about uh, my my background is in um, ecology and i'm a former earth science teacher so um, I I really like to understand kind of the systems and um, ecosystems and, and as well as social systems and you know what what do they need in order to be successful and how do we create our own systems that don't get in their way of being successful and thriving and, and so you know what really drives me in this work is thinking about you know how can how can all of um, you know how can the monarch butterflies continue to access milkweed, the only plant that they can use to produce or uh, to reproduce and, and survive, and that's just one tiny example that many people recognize. And, and but that type of very delicate system exists everywhere around the world. And uh, you know, how do we sort of manage our own decisions to prevent um, hindering that one little relationship from happening?
0: That's awesome. So. You are obviously the Senior Director of the Sustainability Consortium. Can you talk a little bit about what the Sustainability Consortium is, what it does, and what do you do in your role?
2: So I came uh, to sustainability really through uh, my work in stream ecology and, and the earth sciences. My background is in in biology and, um, and education. Uh, as well as French, actually. I studied French. And, um, <laughs> um, and then I did teach for a while and then later uh, studied uh, stream ecology and economics in the environmental dynamics program here at the University of Arkansas. Um, I came to sustainability through that experience because at the time, this uh, supply chain sustainability was really growing um, at the University of Arkansas as well as around the world, um, and um, my experiences in the environmental science, uh, sciences were really applicable to understanding supply chain systems and the impacts associated with supply chain. And so I got a chance to be a graduate student for the Sustainability Consortium. Um, later on, after I had received my PhD, uh, they had a position in the food, beverage, and ag sector, and I came to work for the consortium and have been here ever since. And uh, the consortium formed in 2009, and this is our Ten-year anniversary. Oh,
1: wow. Yeah. Awesome.
2: So, my role is to, um, I oversee our innovation program. The Sustainability Consortium is kind of organized in two houses for the past ten years. We've been working to develop a, a system called Thesis, the Sustainability Insight System that helps companies assess their products' sustainability and assess performance and measure progress and report that to their suppliers or report that to their customers. Uh, and that's a system that uh, really digs into what are those major hot spots for every product category that you can imagine in the consumer goods industry so all those products you see on the shelf or online that you're purchasing uh, there are a number of retailers that we work with including walmart and sam's and kroger and and amazon we've worked with marks and spencer and, and a lot of other um, Retailers that are using our system to really understand what are those impacts in their supply chains. And it's, it's exciting work. Out of that work, uh, we found that the companies were really needing kind of basically support groups <laughs> to figure out how do you tackle these big, tough right. issues that aren't so technical in nature. You know, putting in an HVAC or improving your energy mm-hmm. efficiency uh, is pretty direct. But there's other issues like food waste and wastewater and um, kind of just the recyclability of, of products that are complex. They take multiple stakeholders, they take time and policy change and all of the things that are required um, to just understand the system. And so we created a program called the Innovation Program, which is what I've uh, been overseeing now for a couple of years and building. And it's a space where these companies and NGOs and government government agencies can come together to work on these, what you call adaptive issues, adaptive and just more complex issues.
1: So I want to kind of dig into some of these things. Mm -hmm. Uh, You mentioned thesis, you mentioned supply chain, um, and some companies that you work with and all these different areas that they might plug into. Can you give us like an example, like maybe a model of like, if if we were Walmart or, or Amazon or any of those companies that you mentioned, what exactly does that relationship look like? Like how how do you work together? Mm-hmm. Do you recruit companies? Do they seek you out, mm-hmm. or is it kind yeah. of a little bit of both? It's
2: a good question. TSC is a member based organization. We do also receive grant funding for our work. Where we are a multi stakeholder science based organization. So these organizations uh, can come to TSC to, to be part of a pre competitive conversation with other companies and NGOs. Um, do we recruit? Certainly we reach out and invite people to be members. It's, you know, it in order for this to work, we need diverse and, and um, we need diverse perspectives at the mm-hmm. table uh, from, from the supply chains and and um, the, but also people hear about us and, and come and, and and want to get involved. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of our work is multi-stakeholder, so it's a chance to be at the table and give right. input and create this, kind of co-create mm-hmm. these systems that help them.
1: Do you, when you take a company on, do you tackle kind of all those areas or do you focus like, you know, do you focus on sustainable practices within their brick and mortar, do you focus on their supply chain process, a little bit of both, everything, or? Yeah,
2: good question. We, we work on all of those things, but it's, it's more of a collective, um, effort. So if companies are, so we, it's not a, um, so basically we work in a collective effort, meaning that we would identify a challenge that maybe companies across the board are having in addressing an issue mm-hmm. and then work collectively to create a solution that can benefit all of them. Okay. so. Whereas in a consulting model, where we would work with just one company mm-hmm. and help them give give suggestions for addressing their own issues in their own supply chains, we uh, hear from those companies saying, "You know, I'm really struggling with how to build, improve, proper wastewater treatment in mm-hmm. our supply chains, and so am I, and so am I, and so am I." <laughs> you know, and and yeah. so what's needed? You know, what would what would we be able to create collectively that could Facilitate action in those supply chains. Right. Um, help them reach out to their suppliers. Create a common language is often mm. um, what's needed. A common framework, uh, leadership thresholds that can be communicated to the supply chain. Uh, what can we do to kind of create change the system to help them better at take action in their own supply chain? Mm.
1: Yeah. What's the you know you mentioned competitive edge? Mm-hmm. Um, this is a question that Ryan asked, too, of, of corporations in the last episode, but I'm curious, like, what is the, what's the right word? Not advantage, but incentive. Yeah. Incentive. Uh, yeah. 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 What, what's the incentive for companies to, like, be a part of something like this or even to think about sustainability in the way that we have been talking about it?
2: That's a good question. I'll, I'll share that the sustainability consortium's theory of change is that there's a really important relationship between the buyer and a supplier mm-hmm. in the supply chain and, and that that relationship has the ability to affect kind of chain reaction of, mm-hmm. of, of actions through the supply chain because there is a business incentive for action. So if uh, so, so yes, go ahead.
1: It, so I just want to clarify for yeah. some of our audience. So when you say buyer, you don't yeah. necessarily mean consumer.
2: Correct. So a retail buyer, like okay. a purchaser, someone buying the product that will then go on the shelves, and um, and then their suppliers that are supplying those products. Okay. So if I'm a buyer, a retail buyer, I I have needs for the products that I want mm-hmm. to have on my shelf, and I and I can request that of my suppliers, and so. Because um, because consumers, in many ways, are demanding more and more transparency in their products, these retailers are asking more questions of their suppliers, and what that's doing is creating a market incentive through the supply chain to figure out, what is my water use? What are my uh, labor, labor issues? Where are we on deforestation? And be able to uh, report that back to the retailer. What we're also seeing that's really exciting is that those the brands, so a supplier brand, say um, the ones that we all think of uh, when you buy, you think of your favorite chocolate or soda or whatever it is, that um, they are seeing the value um, in um, having more sustainability in their products and being mm-hmm. able to communicate that. So their customers are. Um, you know people are very loyal to their brands and they want their brands to be doing the right thing and there's more and more of that in the in the industry so brands are responding Mm -hmm. even you know in addition to their retailers asking them they're responding to their consumers on their own and independently so there's that's an exciting thing to to see in the industry and and so really you know social media plays a role in that Mm -hmm. Um, uh, as a lot of the just the of the democratization of, uh, yeah. mm-hmm. of uh, purchasing and, and, and product yeah. and choice it's been a
1: really interesting thing to watch like for me a little bit pre-social media and like mm-hmm. now there's so many more campaigns that are geared towards social impact or social initiatives mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. sustainability mm-hmm. it's been I mean it's a good thing right mm-hmm. or, but like also the impending doom of climate change and all these things are making these things uh, yeah. much more on the forefront and mm-hmm. and more prevalent in our conversation right yeah it's interesting oh yeah
2: it's just there's just i mean the fact that you're doing the podcast right is a great example that there's, it's just on people's minds more right. than i've really ever seen it um in my career and yeah
1: when, when you were that just makes me think like when you you said this started in 2009 yeah. so I'm, I'm wondering like how much of this was how much not how much easier it is right (laughs) but like was it much more difficult in the beginning to get people thinking of these things i mean 2008 wasn't that far i know but it's okay but it's yeah yeah
2: um you're kind of getting to the narrative of sustainability and and there is a an arc um that that you can follow and it goes back hundreds of years in some Mm -hmm. cases so you have compliance so you know if someone had a smelly pig in their pen <laughs> next to their house you know the government in england for example would would make them make them clean that up and that's mm-hmm. a compliance issue so compliance started way back um in western civilization and, and other civilizations as well but you know just this compliance idea that you have to follow the rules for a healthy community mm-hmm. and not affecting your neighbor then this idea of and that has continued we still have compliance you mm-hmm. have to have certain water quality levels and so then there, this um, concept of philanthropy also came in, and that lasted a long time and, and was pre- just really prevalent as the way people were trying to be sustainable is to promote um, conservation or donations to conservation or social welfare kinds of issues. Um, we then, then there's this this time of of kind of measurement reporting, which is that started really in the last century <laughs> and then has come into where we are today and is this idea of I need to, you know, I need to um, measure what I can manage, mm-hmm. uh, or I need to, I can better manage what I measure. And so people started measuring and tracking, then it kind of moved into performance and this leadership aspect that I can have at a competitive advantage. People started okay. figuring out, wow, people care how I'm doing. What we're seeing um, now is more and more of a moral and. In- Moral and value-based emotional response to some of these um, topics that that is really relatively new, and it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Mm-hmm. So, to answer your question about is it easier, um, I would say there's I don't know, there's so much work to be done, and we all need to be on board doing things. <laughs> um, and as far as um, kind of getting people on board, um, I feel like we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Uh, that people are speaking the language more, mm-hmm. um, and this is mostly in the industry because uh, that's who we work with. I'm, I'm less convinced about just um, kind of your, your, you know, person out there that's doing their, their job and they're working hard and they're not in this industry. I don't know that, that they are aware as much, um, but not uh, mostly because we just are starting to talk about it at, that, at this mm-hmm. kind of common right. mainstream level. And so I think that that would start to shift as well.
0: So one thing we talked about last episode with uh, Eric Bulls and Dr. Matlock was mm-hmm. from a individual level, a lot of times more sustainable practices are cheaper from like an individual's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Reusable uh, coffee cups, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, from a company level, right? They have the incentive to provide, especially low cost retailers, such as Walmart, they have the incentive to provide low cost products so when you've worked with them with uh, sustainability in their uh, packaging, such as like you know single-use plastics, things like that, is it more expensive for them to produce these more sustainable options, or how does that look?
2: It's a good question. I, I and to be perfectly honest, I don't I don't know that we know. I I don't know what the cost differences is. I haven't are. Um, um, I think what people are finding is that there's a demand for that kind of thing and people are asking for it and in that regard they're more and more willing to pay for something different Um, as far as the research on that I don't know and I, I think it's kind of a something that's ongoing I think we are still the the Hypotheses are still out there, <laughs> uh, but there's certainly more and more little shops and stores and big brands, you know, mm-hmm. changing their their models, and it's because the consumer demand for it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I'm thinking about the banning of straws, and even mm-hmm. Fayetteville, the city is having a discussion about styrofoam right now. And I'm just, you know, I'm wondering how. Like, I'm just thinking about like how much of that is the demand from. People or organizations, or just like the the cultural shift in conversations about yeah. sustainability.
2: I think it's a good question, and, and I think it's in pockets too. Right. You know, some areas are are sort of taking action, um, policy action, uh, more than others. Um, and and but you know, what I hear companies like companies like Walmart say, you know, we all hear them is you know it's everyday low, everyday low prices and um, and I think they're sticking to that and what they would say is that sustainability helps them do that. Um, and over and over we hear not just from, from Walmart but from a lot of companies is that when you're doing sustainability practices and integrating that into your supply chain um, that you have a Better managed supply chain, which has business benefits, and so you can find those savings um, in many, in many ways, whether it's cost savings or resource savings or just efficiencies. Right. So, um, so there, so that is something we definitely hear from from a lot of companies. It's just a more sustainable supply chain is a better managed supply chain because there's more visibility.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so since this is um, kind of involved with the University of Arkansas, can you Mm -hmm. talk about the TSC's uh, relationship with both these companies and the University of Arkansas?
2: Um, So yes, so I can um, tell you that the consortium is really part of the University of Arkansas and Arizona State University. I'm, um, as well as Wageningen University in the Netherlands, I'm on staff at the University of Arkansas, and, and we have an office here, and we're here at the Uh, Research and Technology Park is where we're located and then um, our office at um, Arizona State is in Scottsdale And all the staff there are staff of Arizona State University Um, We and then the same with the bargaining and that team, but we operate as a as a single organization We have a CEO. He's actually in London and um, and then we have a you know a board and we have an executive team and we have staff. Um, so it's 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 kind of like a project that just came to life yeah. out of these <laughs> uh, universities and uh, because it we really just exist as a memorandum of understanding between the universities. Mm. So it's a great example of when you have a good idea and you chase after it, it can kind of take its own form and mm. do a lot of really exciting <laughs> things. I feel like we've done yeah. a lot of, of neat things and and so um, but yeah, that's that's. Um, how we work and and it's pretty neat to be here in arkansas sometimes people we're a global organization and sometimes people are surprised that we are located here (laughs) um for whatever reason that that, that is the perception they think what you're a global organization and you're in Fayetteville or Northwest Arkansas Uh, but you know we have a lot of global organizations here uh, and (laughs) it's a pretty amazing uh, state in that that regard
1: Um, you mentioned that you guys do some really cool projects I'm wondering can you share yeah. uh, anything with us that you guys are working on or have done or yeah uh, so
2: in in the in this innovation program that I'm heading up we uh, have a project for example in wastewater and textiles uh, that I am so excited about it is it is really based on the fact that there there are a number <laughs> a large number of Textiles facilities in these supply chains that just um, don't either don't have access to wastewater treatment, haven't in, haven't invested in it, or the politics are such that it's just not happening. And and it's complex. It's it's not really any any one fault. It's a whole complex system of uh, resources, politics, and mm-hmm. and transparency and mm-hmm. all the things and access to water. Um, and it's. Um, and so, for example, in Bangladesh, 75%. It's estimated um, the facilities there are not treating properly, treating wastewater. So, mm-hmm. um, and the te- and the textiles. So, our uh, members that are uh, textile companies, some of those are um, Hanes and Fruit of the Loom and Walmart, uh, really leading organizations in the, in that space are are in this space. Uh, came to us and said, you know, we we want to do something and try to figure out how do we uh, raise raise the all boats uh, on okay. this in this issue and so uh we really did a lot of work on kind of a landscape but to figure out you know, really one of the main problems was that there's just not a, a an easy way to gain access on how to treat uh wastewater and then also access to resources in local um, regions as well as a way to keep up with local regulations mm-hmm. and and so we've created the wastewater 101 toolbox it's an online resource that we're planning to launch in november um, it will be the first ever global uh, kind of one-stop shop uh, for wastewater treatment, and we're t- starting with textiles, but the idea is that we can expand into other industries as well. Uh, so, right now, as it stands, you really have to search all over the all over you know the internet to find all different resources in different places, and what this does is bring them all into one searchable. Uh, place and then very quickly probably take you to another place that looks that's more helpful but it's a one one-stop shop so that's an exciting project that's really been co-developed by the companies and NGOs involved and, um, and NC state is a big partner in that as well and and have they've done a lot, a lot of research in it and then um, so just really excited about yeah, that,
1: that sounds awesome. and,
2: mm-hmm. and um, another one uh, that we are working on actually that we are seeking funding for is a project in food waste and I, I understand there might be a podcast on that coming up sometime <laughs> um, it's a project that that's really about research and, and in the space of, of building transparency in supply mm-hmm. chains and understanding why are there gaps in transparent in right. data and and why are there why is there a lack of transparency and so for food waste in this case it's a uh, an, kind of a deep dive on what happens to food and what are the decisions made um, for the movement of food between a manufacturer mm-hmm. and a retailer very specifically in the direct store delivery process, mm-hmm. where a distributor manages that food. And then you, they even manage it on the shelf in the retailer. So this is a an important project because about 24% of retail unit sales are sold through the DSD system, which means that's a big percentage of the product being moved um, just doesn't have. There's no visibility into what happens. Is it being donated okay. when it's almost um, to its best by date, or is it being landfilled? Is it going to fertilizer? What What is it um, that happens to it? So we are um, we scoped in and are hoping to do a project in the city of Denver um, on that and in partnership with um, a number of our, our members that have facilities in Denver, and um, so. We're actually seeking distributors that might want to participate in that project because they're yeah. a key part of that that system awesome. yeah mm-hmm. so so that's one that's kind of early in the pipeline and then we also have an exciting project um, called project wherever um, this is actually also a textiles project we just have the two um, but we have a project um, to better understand what exactly happens to clothes when hmm. we wear them? So this is a use phase project to understand how many times do people wear their socks? How many times um, do we wear our shirts? And and it's a the use of an RFID tagging system that will hmm. um, that volunteers will use to put on your closet, put on your shirt, and then when you take that shirt out of the closet, it it triggers the data collection. And then, oh, um,
1: such a fascinating <laughs> use of technology know, is, to track yeah. the wearing of clothing. Yeah,
2: yeah. So we started to. We have a big. Um, we have an innovation hub. We call the circular innovation hub. Mm. Um, and we're, we have a number of projects that are working to really just build more knowledge around circularity. And this is one piece of that. That mm. when we started to work with our companies um, to understand. What happens at the use phase? How do we, is it worth making clothing more durable? But well, we don't even know how to make it more durable because we don't know how it's being worn. And we okay. don't know how um, to, uh, to really respond to that question. So okay. uh, it's a big data gap in the research. So we're launching that
1: project. I was just thrilled to ask what your research questions were, but you just answered yeah. that. That's really fascinating to me, how you can incorporate like technology and in, in the use of data analytics and stuff like that to to gather information on that front kind of blows my mind i like, oh, wow, <laughs> yeah. using technology really to cool. do that. Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, that's uh, being led by our ASU team. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, our, Kevin Dooley is our chief scientist there, right. and he's a supply chain professor at ASU.
1: I was about to ask, is the university relationship, is it rooted in, is, are those sort of the researchers, like university partners and stuff like that?
2: Good question. Uh, we we have uh, so yes, our university relationship is very rooted in the science, and, mm-hmm. and we work and partner with university professors uh, whenever we can. Uh, one of our um, at, even at NC State, we've had as I mentioned, um, uh, they helped with the wastewater project. Karen Leonis um, was just so instrumental in, in kind of launching that project, and then um, and then also, uh, but also our staff. Uh, a lot of us have research backgrounds, and so we, um, we work in that, we just think in that way, but also we have research staff that, okay. that do the research to understand what are the major hotspots for product categories and develop the key performance indicators for our sustainability insight system thesis. Uh, so we, we do have research staff, and then we partner with researchers, and then um, we tend to hire people that have a science, science background of some kind yeah
0: that's awesome mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> it is it's a good team and um i think we're in a, it's an exciting time because it's our 10-year anniversary we're excited yeah. to see where the next 10 years will will go with a lot of these trends i was just mm-hmm. sharing about people kind of interest in addressing these complex issues and this kind of moral obligation um type tone that we're hearing more and more um, in the industry
0: so I guess along those lines, uh, where do you see both the TSC in the future, mm-hmm. um, like in the next 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where do you see yourselves uh, in the uh, s- sustainability like, line or anything, yeah. um, as well as how do you see sustainability being in the future? Like, do you mm-hmm. think in the next 10 years, where do you think it'll be?
2: Well, good question. I'm only going to speak for myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I foresee big... Be- I foresee change in how we do business. I think we are seeing that already with the business roundtable coming out with conscious capitalism was the term. You know that that is
1: um, you know those are
2: it's a group of CEOs that. Um, that are very influential and it it's not an action but it's a big statement of um, interest and change and i think it will be an interesting space to watch policy as well um, and watching the business leaders uh, affect policy in ways that help them integrate sustainability into supply chains uh, more broadly and and changing business models to Changing business models that are less impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw this with Paul Polman with Unilever, um, refusing to do quarterly reports. Uh, um, you know that 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 short-term thinking, um, I think will will be something we'll we'll also see that will be required really if we're going to think about these big big challenges that take longer term to to address. So, um, in ten years, I'd like to see us uh, saying, you know, that that. Uh, there's carbon reduction, there's, um, there are, there's improved water quality, there's more conservation efforts. Um, and, and there's also just a, a going back to our original conversation or a very early conversation, this mainstream awareness, kind of a land and water and, and social ethic that's part of our purchasing um, as well as kind of the durability aspect growing, um, where we maybe don't, we don't purchase as much, but we might have to pay a little bit more for one thing rather than the same amount for 10 things. And, and that culturally we're okay with that. Now that might not be in 10 years, but I'd like to see that well <laughs> down the road. We can uh, only have, that's, yeah. right. <laughs> that's right, that's uh, right. And so, yeah, I think uh, the thing that I would say is just that I'm very excited about the role that business can play in, in the leadership of sustainability and our world. Uh, and and that's because consumers have really seen their ability to affect change in that space mm-hmm. and there's there's often frustration in the in the more in the kind of the public realm um, but we're not we are we certainly see a lot of action in the consumer space
1: yeah i mean i think just for me initially when i think of like corporations sustainability is not exactly the mm-hmm. first thing that i would think I, of in yeah. fact often i would think that that's the the thing causing the non-sustainable mm-hmm. stuff, but the like you know the more we've talked about supply chain and business practices and kind of all the sort of sustainability consulting that happens and social enterprises and yeah. all of these things are actually have are having such a huge impact on mm-hmm. sustainability initiatives, which is really interesting but also exciting and it yeah. gives me hope <laughs> well, absolutely yeah
2: that, i mean I, and that's that's so important because these are big challenges that, right and uh, i think that what we all have to do is is vote with our dollar you know that yeah, we absolutely. create that market incentive by choosing what we we buy and asking questions and understanding and being and, and caring what happened to the people that made this product, and caring what happened to the water that went into this product, mm-hmm. and um, just having a, a building an awareness of that um, will create the market signals that that will allow those businesses to do business around that. You know, they want to have business. They want to do their business, and if, if consumers are willing to support them in their business in these practices, they they'll do that. You know, mm-hmm. so. It's, kind of, it's a it's a whole system yeah <laughs> it's a partnership right.
0: <laughs> one thing that's been interesting to me is you see a lot of headlines about sustainability that are more negative than positive uh, for mm-hmm. example we have X many years until climate change is beyond repair or mm-hmm. anything like that mm-hmm. um, so I guess from your perspective what do you see in terms of is there a really pressing really short-term issue that needs to be addressed really quickly mm-hmm. or is it something that if we keep um, progressively attacking this issue and eventually get to that point where we are implementing more sustainable practices across the globe
2: mm-hmm. will
0: that be okay
2: it's a great question oh uh, no, I, I would say we have big we need big bold leadership right now mm-hmm. we need big action that shifts whole paradigms we need people to be brave and take risks that will will potentially change the way they do business forever um, and bring forward policy that might not get them elected again and Mm. um and this is this is what is so needed and yes we have an imperative (laughs) we're seeing it already we're seeing it so hot and dry and we see uh, these the big storms and we see you know 22 million people in forced labor. You know, this, these are, mm-hmm. or sorry, 2.1 million. That there's an important um, decimal there. But regardless, one person in forced labor. Right. And it's it's just there are big big issues that this is not about baby steps. This is about big system change, and and that's what um, the consortium is all about, uh, and what we uh, are excited about to be able to do with, in partnership. Um, but we even see, you know, we're talking about, you know, how can we be more bold with our members, you know, and and so um, you know, we, we and I think that, that there, we need to pay attention to those call-outs and but at the same time celebrate the successes. There are big successes. There are, uh, there's more and more transparency. There's, uh, we do see better water quality in a lot of places. And, and uh, so how do we kind of balance that? And I always say, how do we... Keep enough despair to keep fighting, but enough optimism
1: to stay hopeful Yeah, because it <laughs> it's a big right, challenge. Right. <laughs> so. um, I'm curious. I don't want to shift the conversation too much, but mm-hmm. I'm really interested. You mentioned a lot of things in the beginning about how you led up to this. You yeah. have biology, education, French, <laughs> we have like a whole list here. Yeah. Um, can you kind of take us back? to that a little bit and talk about how did you get into education and Mm -hmm. I guess I'm curious um how much of that sort of teacher persona or whatever Mm -hmm. pushed you into educating people about sustainability practices yeah
2: um it's a great question and it's it's been a journey right so so um so definitely my uh, kind of teacher nature, uh, my parents were teachers, my grandparents were teachers, oh, wow. swore I would never be a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, and, but I, I also have a, um, a lot of interest in the sciences. My, my dad was a soil science and agronomy professor and, and mom was a kindergarten teacher and built uh, an, an active in the National Science Teachers Association and all these things. So science was always a really big deal. Um, and my, um, so I just was on track to, to to do that, and was very interested in always sharing what I learned. I always would learn something new, and would want to share it somehow. Mm-hmm. And 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 so I was I gravitated towards uh, the teaching profession in that regard. Uh, fell in love with my my um, great amazing French teacher, Madame Thule, and just never wanted to give up French um, from there on either. <laughs> and so I kind of had parallel lives in that regard. But it also brought a global perspective, um, mm-hmm. studying French, um, that uh, I hadn't had really uh, um, having only in the sciences. So my my French experience kind of brought that kind of cultural, multicultural, global perspective to my way of thinking. And um, so, so yeah, I, I think um, what... You know, after a period of time, I became an earth science teacher, earth and life science teacher. What in grade did you teach? I taught eighth graders oh, okay. right up here in Bentonville oh, uh, nice. <laughs> at Washington Junior High. It was a great experience. I, I love that age and uh, just had so much fun really focusing a lot on this um, Arkansas educational strand um, that's called Human Environment, human Impact on the Environment. Hmm. And we did lots of activities around um butterfly gardens and urban sprawl and impacts on streams and um, I got involved in the Bessie Moore uh, program with economic education and um, I'll give a shout out to Rita Littrell, she's amazing. She helped me (laughs) um, really integrate economics into teaching science and it really brought science to life for kids um, and helped them see how these systems affect their daily lives and um, the kind of ecosystem services. So that led to me really wanting to understand that better. And so that brought me to the University of Arkansas Environmental Dynamics Program. Um, so I just wanted to learn more and also was interested in expanding my education to so that I could share more with more people about this important topic of human impact on the environment. Um, and so I studied stream ecology and economics in that program. and. I think that um, you know I'm used in this role of the consortium where you're bringing people together and teaching them the, teaching them about the, these complex systems and doing that in a way that creates a practical, easy to understand solution. Is what teachers do and it's what I've applied in this role in so many ways but it, and, you know there's others on the team that are certainly able to do that as well and, and all and a number of them have been teachers and, and, or are still teachers or professors so um, it is a skill that um, is very um, useful in this world of sustainability where you're, you're you're taking these complex systems and and communicating them explaining them in a way that makes sense to um, someone to help them really just come on board with, with an understanding of that topic. So, so yeah, it's been a, it's, um, uh, been an applicable yeah. <laughs> uh, profession to, the, to this, this now profession. And it sometimes feels like a big jump or seems like a big jump, but it, it's really very well tied. in. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So I guess kind of along those lines, um, using that teaching approach, right? So mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that, you know, Maybe they don't believe in climate change, or they don't mm-hmm. believe in that sort of um, idea that we something needs to be done. So I guess taking that approach from the mm-hmm. teaching perspective, how do you convince whether it's companies, whether it's mm-hmm. others, how do you go about convincing people that something needs to be done and something needs to be done now?
2: Yeah. Uh, what I what I guess I I have done that a number you know I've, I've talked with lots of people that don't really see the 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 issues in the way that maybe the media or or you know or the science is explaining it um, and what i have often um, talked with folks about is you know the the those same people often are seeing changes though they are seeing changes to um, the, the land around them the water access around them they're seeing changes to the storms that they're being impacted by um, they're, they're seeing changes to their ability to um, to do the same recreational kinds of things that they might want to do. Fishing or, or boating um, or swimming or whatever. Um, maybe yeah, my background's in water, so that, that's where this <laughs> honestly, but, um, <laughs> um, I, I I think there are always ways to connect with people about the things that they care about that are being impacted by... What the science community or the industries or whoever might be um, kind of calling out as climate change, Uh, but but climate change impacts all of the ecosystems and everything down to the little bugs that you fly fish with Mm -hmm. um, to catch your fish. Those systems change. It causes the more acidity of the water level or more acidity of the water, which causes an inability of those. Those little flies and and macroinvertebrates to reproduce, which affects the food for the fish, and the fish aren't there. Mm-hmm. So um, you know these systems are real and um, they're impacted, uh, and so there's different ways to take action and different reasons to take actions. Um, and so you know it's actually I really enjoy talking with folks that that um, you know may have different perspectives or have a different way of of seeing. The world around them, um, or but they certainly but in the end, we really still see a lot of the same things, <laughs> you know. And um, it's important to be able to find that common ground and understanding, and and that's what I feel like. Just overall, we could also just you know on that front, we all need to work on you know being able to find that common ground so we can can work together on a lot of these mm-hmm. issues.
0: Yeah, that's something that Eric Bowles talked about last episode, is we all want the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, No matter what way you go about it, we Mm -hmm. all want the same end goal. Yeah. Um, So that's something that's really important, that I think, as long as we can all realize that's what we want, we're not fighting for different things, we're fighting for the same thing, Yeah. Um, and then finding that common ground to get there is really important.
2: Yeah, call it whatever you would like, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever terms or whatever language you know but in the end we're trying to have all have water and on the end we're all trying to be able to eat and and um you know it sounds sounds like well of course we'll be able to have water but there are places that are running out of water Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) and even for future (laughs) generations future generations i would like um my three-year-old to be able to access water and and clean air and yeah um so that's no that's exactly right and be able to and i think sometimes we need to start there instead of Instead of saying, climate change, big crisis, that's so abstract in so Mm -hmm. many ways and uh, hard for everybody to really get a hold of.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah, I think that communication starting at the top is really important to really make sure that it starts from a good place in order to really impact change.
2: And that's, I think, a lot of times where um, public policy gets in, in trouble is that we start with these emotional... Uh, kind of mantras, and you know, mm-hmm. that's just hard to get past. <laughs> right, you know, um, you know. You know. So yeah, if we can start more at a common common ground, place of common ground that makes a lot makes it a lot better. And we we certainly find that. And that's where the, I would say coming back to the consortium is one thing that we work hard to do is uh, kind of be neutral and and really and really base our our work on the science. And we we we. Um, Grounded in the science, and, and of course, there's interpretation of the science, and we've gone back and forth and around and around on different studies <laughs> with different people. And if that's the case, we we created a mechanism for for addressing that within our methodology for um, thesis, uh, for example. So we we really have created methodologies that enable us to move through those potential conflicts. But um, over time, uh, we've really created such a common language with with yeah. folks, and we have. People from in, in our membership, for sure, of all different political you know perspectives, you know, and so mm-hmm. it's it's in all different you know countries and all different you know from all around, and and but yet we're working on a common mission mm-hmm. to improve product sustainability. So you know you can you, if you can find that common ground where we're we're basing this in science, and here's and, and our decisions are based on this these studies. Um, it really makes a difference, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think it's important to stress that this is not a political two-sided issue, right? Yeah, right? I mean, it's not like one side wants sustainability and the other side doesn't. I mean, yeah. we want, we all want the same thing. Like right. going and back and to that, <laughs> yeah. so it's it's interesting how that it, it has become almost a political like a divide, right? Word or mm-hmm. issues?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really
0: mm-hmm.
2: interesting. Right. Definitely, no. I think it's a it's a really important it's a really important point and and something that. That we you know, the consortium has really tried to be aware of and build into our systems.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Sarah, for well, joining us awesome. today. This was awesome.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank you. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me and and for hosting hosting this. Yeah. Mm-hmm.